This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Welcome to a special edition of the Money and Markets podcast, where we answer all your burning questions on ISAs. I'm Danny Hewson, and joining me this week is Leigh Khalif. Uh, hi, Danny. Hello, and Dan Coatsworth. Hello. And Jenny Owen is also back with another humorous money story for you at the end of the show. Hi, Jenny. Hi, am. And don't worry, we'll still have our usual look at the markets and an update on the week's most important investment stories. Yeah, and thank you very much to everyone who sent in their ISA questions. We'll be looking at answers to those shortly. We'll also be looking at the most popular investments that are held in ISAs and also some top tips just to squeeze a bit more out of those savings wrappers. But before we get to all that, let's have our weekly look at the markets. Dan, what's been going on this week? Not very good if you've been invested in airlines or holiday companies. The government sort of pulled cold water on the idea of a summer holiday. It was terrible. So, I'd, I'd, you know... Leith, has that completely scrapped your plans for um, three months away in the sun? Or uh, it wasn't three crossed? months, but I've got I've got two weeks booked in September. I went. I thought I was going safe with September in Spain, uh, but that's looking less safe now. Uh, but yeah. there's a long time between now and September, and a lot can change in that time. So I'm hoping it changes for the positive. Yeah. So obviously the government's concerned about what's happening in other countries and doesn't really want UK holidaymakers to go overseas and then bring COVID back with them. So Poor old airlines um, like International Consolidated Airlines and, and EasyJet and Jet2 and, and even holiday companies TUI, they've all had a pretty miserable time on the market where um, you know investors were previously sort of thinking, okay, they're on the cusp of uh, seeing a big recovery in earnings, but you know, still a question mark about when that's going to happen. So that dragged down other sort of aviation-related stocks, Rolls-Royce, which um, a lot of its money is linked to how many, how many hours are... Uh, Planes have been flying in the sky because it does lots of engine maintenance. And also WH Smith because it's heavily linked to the travel industry. Um, elsewhere, we had Cineworld um, saying it's going to reopen its US cinemas for the first time in six months. But um, it wasn't enough to convince investors that the cinema industry is uh, going to bounce back strongly. We had some more news of um, big name films going to go straight to streaming and, and bypass cinemas. So that's, that's not very good. Uh, and perhaps I think the, the biggest news for... Um, investors in the UK has been um, Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, extremely popular fund held by so many retail investors. Um, the co-manager, James Anderson, says he's going to leave, not not for another year. So it's fair enough, it's serving out a very long notice period. But um, the fact is that he's been with the asset management firm Bailey Gifford for about 38 years and has been running Scottish Mortgage for about 21 years. And during that time, he's made shareholders very very rich and so people naturally sort of saying well hang on a minute if he's off uh is that is that it for me um is it going to be much harder to to sort of generate decent returns coinciding with this is the fact that scottish mortgage shares are down about 20 percent this year uh, that's i don't think james anson's departure and the share price being down are connected i think it's simply because he, he's done his time with the business um and scottish mortgage invests in high growth stocks and that, that, that investment style is just simply out of favor but um, I think shareholders should take some comfort that the co-manager Tom Slater will next year become the lead and there's another person already at Bailey Gifford Lawrence Burns is going to be 
Um, he's, he's now immediately the deputy manager there. So I think it should be business as usual. It's not re- reason to, to panic. Right, on to ISIS. We've got great tips to help you understand which ISA to use. But first, Leith, it's worth explaining. What are they? Well, very simply, Danny, they're a savings account. Um, and they really do what they what they say on the tin because um, you know, ISA stands for Individual Savings Account. So, so there you are. They're introduced in 1999. So they've been around for quite a long time now. A replacement for, for PEPs, if you remember those, personal equity plans, which themselves were a replacement for, for TESSAs. Um, and, you know, initially you could only put uh, £7,000 into uh, an ISA back in 99. That's now risen over the years to £20,000. Several types of, of ISAs nowadays, which we're going to uh, come on to in a minute. But, I mean, all of them, the basic premise is that they're letting you save for the future and offering you some protection from tax along the way. Yeah, as you say, there are several types. Dan, just kick us off with the most popular ones. Well, cash is the most widely... Um, held for sort of people who who are um, not familiar or not not or very inexperienced with investing, it seems to be the natural first port of call. Like Lay says, you can put up to twenty thousand pounds in there. Um, you simply can hold cash. That's it. Uh, a lot of people like the idea that they get um, up to eighty five thousand um, pounds sort of protection from the government via the financial services compensation scheme, if anything goes wrong. So um, lots of people like that protection. When it comes to stocks and shares, ISA, there's no compensation if your choice of investments loses you money. But you could get compensation if your ISA provider goes bust. Um, Also, if you were perhaps missold an ISA. But um, stocks and shares, ISA, is about investing in the market so you can hold um, individual company shares, funds, investment trusts, ETFs, or bonds in them. And you can only pay into one stocks and shares ISA a, a year, but you, you can hold lots of different types of ISAs throughout the year as long as they don't exceed 20 grand in total. But again, we'll come into come to that sort of rules in a bit. Yeah, and one of the different types of ISAs that people might have alongside a stocks and shares ISA is a lifetime ISA. Um, kind of a dual purpose ISA, really. It's available to those between 18 and 40. So I'm afraid if you've hit the big 4-0, you are out of luck. The idea is that you use it to save for your first house or for retirement, and you can put up to £4,000 a year into these. It is, as I say, considered to be part of your ISA allocation. Now, that £4,000, the government will top up whatever you put in by 25%. So put in 4000 at the end of the year, you get out 5000 So ultimately, you could get £33,000 of free government money if you save the maximum amount for the maximum of time. At 60, you can take full or partial withdrawals from your life, so without paying a fee, and you won't pay any tax and can use the money for whatever you want. I know Leith's going to talk a lot more about tax. And Claxon sounding here, though, if you want to take money out before you turn 60, it's not for buying a house for you to live in, then you will lose your bonus and have to pay a fee. And while I'm talking houses, you might also have heard of the help to buy ISA. They are for exactly that, saving for a home. Now, they're not available anymore, but 2.5 million people are still paying into them. And I'll talk a bit more about the differences in those schemes a bit later. And then we've got the odd one out, which is the innovative finance ISA. I think very few people seem to talk about this one. And I think I think the government was wrong to launch it as a standalone product. So this is for peer-to-peer lending, where you will lend money to an individual or a business 
via P2P platform, they will hopefully pay you regular amounts of interest. And at the end of this fixed term, you'll get you'll get your money back. So um, same principle as if bonds. But with uh, P2P finance, this sort of there was a lot of hype about it. Um, and I'm not so sure it's really taken off in the way it has. And I, I think if the government was ever to do a review to simplify ISAs, this would be the first one in the bin. Now, hopefully we've not bombarded you with too many figures just yet, but the key point to consider with ISAs is that they're a way to protect your wealth from the taxman. And Leith, you're going to run us through the tax benefits? Yeah, that's right. So um, it does depend a bit on which ISA you're choosing and what you're investing in. So let's begin with um, the kind of classic stocks and shares ISA. Your main tax benefits are that gains are free from Uh, capital gains tax and uh, dividends and interest are free from income tax. So if you compare that with holding investments outside of an ISA, where gains are taxable uh, above £12,300 each year. So if you make more than £12,300 of gains each year, you're potentially liable to to capital gains tax, which comes in at either 10 or 20%, depending on whether you're a basic rate or a higher rate taxpayer. Uh, respectively. Now, that tax-free £12,300 is obviously pretty generous. And actually, um, you know, many of us won't won't um, use you know more than that in any given year. But we do need to be a little bit careful um, because, as we know, tax rules do change. And actually, this is one that might uh, might be in the sights of the Treasury because the Chancellor asked, asked the um, the Office for Tax Simplification to look at capital gains tax last year. They reported back. Um, and said that that actually he should look at actually increasing rates of of, of capital gains tax, but probably more importantly, um, bringing down that um, that threshold from twelve thousand three hundred pounds to somewhere around two thousand to four thousand uh, pounds, which would bring a lot more people um, into the the capital gains tax net. So putting money into an ISA not only protects you from capital gains tax today, but also capital gains tax tomorrow as well. So worth worth thinking about that. But but probably I think um, you know more. Um, probably more more useful at the moment is the protection that you get from uh, from from dividend tax uh, within a, a stocks and shares ISA because at the moment any dividends you get above two thousand pounds a year are taxable, and those are taxable at rates of seven and a half percent for basic rate taxpayers, thirty two point five percent for higher rate taxpayers, and thirty eight point one percent for uh, additional rate taxpayers. And just kind of by way of sort of explanation, if you think about having a portfolio of £50,000, that portfolio were yielding 4% in dividends a year, then um, you're, you're hitting that 2000 limit and anything else you get on top of that, you're potentially paying income tax if you don't hold it within an ISA. So that's stocks and shares ISAs. We've also got cash ISAs as well, which is the main, main other ISA. Now, within the cash ISA, Interest is free from income tax, which means that you save tax at whatever your marginal rate is. That could be 20%, 40%, or 45%. But with a cash ISA, things are a little bit complicated nowadays by the fact that, you know, if you're a basic rate taxpayer, you've got a personal savings allowance of £1,000. So the government introduced this relatively recently. So if you've got a cash held in a savings account, you can actually, as a basic rate taxpayer, receive £1,000 worth of, uh, of interest every year without paying any tax on it. Now, if you think, you know, you actually at current interest rates, you need quite a lot of money um, in order to get that £1,000. 
Um, now that falls to five hundred pounds uh, um, interest-free allowance for uh, a tax-free interest allowance for additional rate taxpayers, and it's nil for additional rate taxpayers. So cash ice is still very valuable for additional rate taxpayers. But I think for basic rate taxpayers, you could be forgiven for scratching your head and saying, "Well, you know, whether I hold it inside the ice or outside the ice at the moment, I'm not going to. I'm not likely to pay tax on it." So, um, uh, an interesting one there, and, and potentially why, um, you know, we, we we have seen a bit of a dip in in popularity of cash ices in recent years. So that kind of, um, I think, kind of sums up the, the kind of main tax benefits. You've also got the LICER as well, which is a bit different because you also get a 25% bonus added on to your contribution. So you can put in £4,000 a year and the government will add um, £1,000 uh, 1, in uh, as a kind of tax bonus. But the, the flip side there is that you can't draw on it until you're age 60. So a bit of swings and roundabouts there. So there's two types of ISA designed to help you get on the housing ladder. I think it's very important to understand how they work. So I'll let Danny go through the details. Yeah, you, you might wonder why we're talking about the help to buy ISA because you can't get one anymore. But I think it's really important to talk about the differences because 2.5 million people still have one of these. They're still paying into them um, because now, of course, it's been replaced by the LISA, the Lifetime ISA. And there's some major differences in the two products. Now, the most notable one, if you're looking to get on the housing ladder at the moment, is the amount that you're actually allowed to pay for your house. It must be your first house. It must be a house you're going to live in. But if you've got help to buy ISA, you can only buy a property outside of London up to a value of £250,000. Inside London, you can spend £450,000. Now, with the lifetime ISA, that £450,000 is available wherever in the country you decide to buy. And when you look at average house prices at the moment, you know, they came to a record high of £252,000 in December 2020. And if you're looking at England, £269,000 is the average price of a house, according to figures from the Office of National Statistics. There is another major difference between the two products as well. With the help to buy ISA, you cannot use that until you have exchanged on the property because you're waiting for your bonus to be paid. However, with a LISA, you can use it for the initial deposit. You can also think now very carefully about whether or not, if you have one of these help to buy ISAs, you might want to transfer to a lifetime ISA. You can do it, but you can't do it all at once. You can only transfer £4,000 a year because you've obviously got your government bonus attached to that. And you have to wait a year from the time that you pay into your lifetime ISA for the first time before you buy a house, which, of course, if you're looking at stamp duty holidays, it might be too late for some people. Yeah, thanks, Dane. Lots of food for thought there, I'm sure, for potential home buyers. Now, another big decision that people have to make when they're looking at ISAs um, is whether to you know, put their savings into a cash ISA or, or actually take a bit more risk, invest in a stocks and shares ISA. So, Dan, you've been looking at this. What what are the key factors people need to look at? I think it's, it depends on each person's circumstances um, and also their, their appetite for risk. But I think as a rough guide, if you need your money in less than three years' time, I would 
perhaps suggests that cash ISA would be the first port of call because when you invest in the stock market, you really need time to ride the ups and downs of, of the market. So it would be awful if you say if you're investing for a specific goal and you know two three years down the line um we go through a very difficult patch on the stock market and then you need that's the point when you need to get your money um you just haven't really given enough time for for the sort of get the, the average out um when you'd expect for those ups and downs so so really if you've got a longer term um and happy to lock that money away for for at least three years then stocks and shares isa would be um the natural place to have a look so history tells us that shares have delivered a better return on cash over time. Obviously, there's no guarantee that's going to continue to happen, but that's just what history is telling us. So, I think if you, um, you know, if you qualify to open a lifetime ISA and you don't want to access the funds that you're saving until you're much older, then you might want to consider that first over a stocks and shares ISA because you do get that free money from the government. But it's really important that you understand the terms and conditions for the lifetime ISA and how it works. Um, the next thing to consider is and, and something that we get asked quite a lot is, well, okay, I, I've got an ISA and I'm happy to invest for long term, but when do I use an ISA but not a pension? Um, so I think it's there's lots of ifs and buts here, but I think if, if you're planning to access that money before retirement age, so the minimum retirement um, or access to to a SIP at the moment, which is a self-invested personal pension, is 55. At some point, that might go up to 57. But I think if you're if you want that money sooner rather than later, then naturally stocks and shares ISA is your, your place. But you know, if, if you're getting into retirement age, um, there are a lot of people who like to have um, start dipping into the ISA first because um, pensions are not taxed on the way in; they're taxed on the, as you're taking money out. But the opposite applies to ISAs. Once that money's in your ISA pot. There's no tax to pay when you're taking it out. So I think a lot of people in initial stages of retirement quite like that idea. So um, it's it's a complicated one. There's no straight answer to it, um, but it's all to do with your own sort of individual personal circumstances. Now, a lot of listeners have asked for our top tips on using ISAs. Laith, you've done the hard work for us. You've pulled together a great list. Yeah, I got a list. I'm going to I'm going to limit myself to three, I think, which are kind of pertinent at the moment. So um, we could go on forever, otherwise, really, with with isotips. So the first one, which I think is really important right now, um, is that if you're up against the fifth of April deadline, which is obviously kind of looming quite large, uh, and you're looking to put money into a stocks and shares ISA, and just thinking, I just can't, I just don't know where to invest it. What am I going to do? Don't worry, because you can actually just make the contribution get your allowance for this year up to £20,000 and then you can invest it when, you know, whenever you want at your leisure. So it doesn't have to be invested by the 5th of April. You just need to get your money into, into the account. So you can give an instruction at a later point. So I think that's really important, particularly at the moment when people are probably rushing to, 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 to beat that deadline. The second tip uh, I would say is quite a useful one if you don't have any cash, spare cash um, hanging around. Now we know lots of people do have spare cash at the moment because we've all been in lockdown for three months. But if you don't, then you can do what's called a bed and ISA. 
Uh, and that involves using investments that you might already have um, outside of, of an ISA, so funds or shares. And what you can do is sell those uh, investments and buy them straight back within an ISA. And the benefit of that is that from then on, those uh, investments are then protected from, from capital gains tax and income tax because they're in the ISA wrapper. Now, you do need to be a bit careful if you're doing that, that you don't use more than your, your capital gains tax allowance, which is £12,300, remember, in any given tax year. So just make sure that you don't make gains in total across the tax year, uh, you know, ab- above that, including any, any investments that you're using to bed and ISA. And the third thing uh, that I'd probably say, which is particularly relevant at this time, is because of that mad rush for the end of the tax year, why not just take the stress out of it next year and just set up a regular savings plan at the same time as doing your ISA for this year? And what that does is it means that next year, your ISA will be just taken care of by investing every month. So every month you invest a certain amount. It just takes the faff out of you know rushing around at the end of the tax year. It's taken directly from your bank account. It also takes the emotion out of investing. So you know it, it means it reduces the chances of any kind of knee-jerk reactions to market movements as well. Yeah, kind of like if you were paying a subscription, you don't really notice it going out, do you? Um, Now, I know I'm curious, lots of people are curious about what investments people have in their ISAs. We've got some stats, Dan. Yeah, so we've had a sort of uh, rummage around and sort of pulled together the most widely held holdings among AJ Bell Uinvest customers. So, I'm going to have a sort of glimpse of what they do. I'm not certainly not telling you to copy these trades. I'm just merely giving you an idea of um, where people sort of put their money. So um, I'll break it down into sort of funds, investment trusts and stocks. So on the fund side, lots of global funds. And that suggests that investors want geographical diversification. So Bailey Gifford products are dominating this list. So Bailey Gifford is one of the... um, most popular asset management firms. Now they run lots of products with on the fund side that start with Bailey Gifford and then say something else. So on the list here, we've got Bailey Gifford American, Bailey Gifford Positive Change. Um, there's one that looks at China and so on. And I think here is investors have been drawn to the past performance of funds under the Bailey Gifford management. And, and in general, and particularly over the long term, they've done very well. Now, Fundsmith Equity is also on the list. Now, and similarly, this launched just over 10 years ago and it's made investors lots of money. So people have seen it's done well and so they're happy to, to stay with it. Uh, at the moment, it's not particularly doing that well. That's simply because it styles out of favour. It likes to invest in quality companies and the market is chasing cheaper value ones where there's sort of more immediate growth. But um, you know, long term, it's been very good. Otherwise, there's the Vanguard life strategy. So here is like a range of funds where you can choose from different mixes of stocks and bonds. And that's simply getting low cost, simple exposure to the markets. And that also explains why Fidelity Fidelity World Index is on there as well. So that's just invest in equity. So it, it just... All that sort of suggests people flock to products from companies that they, they could trust or they've got a good track record, or they're going for low cost exposure. So on the investment trust side, kind of similar picture, lots of products run by Bailey Gifford, such as Scottish Mortgage that we talked about at the start, um, and Monks and an Edinburgh Investment Trust. It's very interesting to see quite a few investment trusts focused on Asia. So there's the F- uh, Fidelity China Special Situations, 
a JP Morgan, China one, and Pacific Horizon as well. So I think that people might be quite used to looking at the UK stock market, quite familiar with the names on it, and perhaps they'd be happy picking their own shares there. But something like Asia, is, uh, you know, the, the knowledge of companies is not as good, uh, I would suspect. And so they probably feel happy to pay a fund manager a small fee every year to find those best opportunities out there. Now, on the stock side of things, I mean, I don't know, Danny and Leith, do you have a guess. What do you think are the most popular stocks that you'd see in ISIS at the moment? Lloyd's. Lloyd's is always top. Unilever, maybe. Uh, I think you know, Lloyd's. I'm going to say, when I before I looked at it, I thought Lloyd's as well. I thought maybe Vodafone and Barclays and Shell. I thought you know, big companies that pay good dividends or or certainly have paid good dividends in the past. So yeah, so on on the list, yeah, Lloyd's is on it, and names like Glaxo, Smith Klein, and Unilever. But there's some there's some real big surprises on there. So there's there's one Argo Blockchain. It's definitely not a household name. It's a tiny company. Um, and it's it's actually one of the few stocks on the UK market that's kind of linked to the Bitcoin price. Um, we've also got GameStop. So it, it's you know at the start of the year we had um, you know news stories across the world were full of um, you know the, the tale of people going on the Reddit social media platform, um, and particularly lots of people who've never done investing before and sort of saying flocking to the, sort of stocks that were completely out of favor one of them being GameStop this video games retailer um so it certainly seems like it's not just a quick fad uh, it, you know the fact is that it's one of the top held stocks in an ISA which suggests that lots of people uh, are sort of sniffing around quite you know, what what are they missing out we've got Tesla on there as well so extremely popular lots of people are arguing it's more than just an electric vehicle company um but you know GameStop and Tesla both extremely volatile share prices all over the place so um yeah I, I am surprised here that people have got lots of speculative stuff in their eyesight perhaps this actually sort of rings true that some people have told me in the past they like to use their ISA for for more speculative stuff and they use their SIP or pension for more serious holdings and just a couple more, just worth pointing out. So we've got a couple of airlines on there, IAG and EasyJet. Obviously, people hoping to that the airline sector will eventually recover. And we've got BP on there. So I'm quite surprised. I thought people sort of started to go off that, particularly as oil um, sort of losing fans in this sort of ESG world. So on next week's show, we've got a fund manager from Temple Bar Investment Trust. And he is going to chat about BP and try and look at um, come at it from a different angle than lots of other people might be thinking about it. So one to watch. Don't miss our podcast next week on that one. Okay, interesting stuff. Well, that's uh, that's what the adults are doing. Let's move on a little bit to in- investing for children and, and particularly um, junior ISAs. Um, so these are you know, relatively uh, relatively new on the ISA landscape, um, but they are obviously a great place for parents and grandparents to scroll away some money. Danny, what, what are your kind of top tips for, for investing for children and using junior ISAs? Well, look, we've spoken before about the need to teach children about finances. And a really good way to get them into good habits is with a savings account. And for many people, the junior ISA is just the ticket because you can put by up to £9,000 a year and the interest on a cash version or the capital growth or dividends from a stocks and shares version is tax free. Now, once your child turns 16, they can take control of the account, but 
they can't access it until they turn 18. So just in time for those big potential expenses like buying a car or paying for university or travel. I know that's something that's close to your heart, Leif, um, <laughs> if, if you can ever get there. Now, um, it, I think it depends very much on the age of the child as to the level of risk that you're willing to take. So if you've got a very young child with over a decade to weather the vagaries of the market, then a, a stocks and shares ISA, junior ISA, could well be a good option. And you might be prepared to go for a fund with potentially more risk, but potentially more reward. And also, you were just talking about BP, Dan, and people potentially moving away because of ESG concerns. Well, a lot of people now are thinking about not only investing for their children's future, but also investing for the future. So there is a rising number of those so-called ESG funds to choose from. I think the big thing is start early if you can, because think about those compound returns um, and think about the opportunity really of setting aside a small amount regularly. And as you were saying, you know, it's a really good opportunity to say to, to grandparents, aunties, uncles, you know, birthday's coming up, Christmas is coming up, squirrel a bit away for us. Um, now, getting into the habit of making sure that you do set something aside for a rainy day is a really good one. But remember to make sure that you yourself do have a safety net before you start putting your money away where you can't get at it if you need it. Now, the FCA reckons about three months salary in savings will be enough to get most people through a life shock like redundancy or loss of earnings from something like a pandemic, which, of course, you know, we've all experienced over the last 12 months. The other thing you need to think about is making sure that you pay off any unsecured debt, particularly those with high interest rates, before you go down this long term savings route. We've got some more questions from our listeners about ISIS. So should we go through them one by one? Lace done all the homework, so I'm I'm sort of hoping he's got all the answers to hand. I'm, so. I'm going to give it my best <laughs> shot, Dan, yeah. <laughs> so first up, we've got a question from Robert Child, who wants to know the different advantages of a SIP versus an ISA or a lifetime ISA, with the premise that this is saving for retirement purposes, and they're 40% taxpayer, and they've maxed out the workplace pension. Okay, so uh, good question. Uh, I think um, maxing out the workplace pension, that kind of exclusion is quite important because that's probably your, your first port of call given that you get um, normally get employer contributions on top. So let's put that to one side, um, looking slight, slightly outside of the workplace pension, just at a straight SIP versus uh, ISA and LISA. Uh, I think the first thing to note is that all of those all, all the investments held within those are free from income tax and, and capital gains tax. So that's one thing that they have in common. If we look at kind of SIPs versus ISAs to begin with, then if you're a 40% um, taxpayer, which is what Robert is, is asking about specifically, then SIPs are probably going to be more tax efficient, but ISAs are, are more flexible. So the ISA can be withdrawn at any time. You can cash it in and take, take your money out uh, and there's no tax to pay. But Unlike a pension, it doesn't get that um, upfront tax relief. So if you're a higher rate taxpayer and you're putting um, money into a SIP, you actually get 40% tax relief upfront. And when you come to draw your pension, unlike the ISA, you do have to pay tax on it. But 25% is tax free. The remainder is taxable. But I think you just have to bear in mind with that, that when you hit retirement and you're a 40% taxpayer, it's going to be likely that you're actually dropping down a tax band. If you think about it, 
the current higher rate tax threshold is around £50,000. It is £50,000 at the moment. It's going up slightly next year. So you would need that amount of income in retirement to be paying uh, 40% um, tax. And, and that's quite a high retirement income. So for a lot of higher rate taxpayers, they're going to drop down to the 20% rate, which is part of a reason that a SIP probably looks uh, more, more tax efficient, as well as the, the 25% tax free as well. And then the, the lifetime ISA, I guess, slightly uh, sits to one side um, because, you know, it does have that that tax benefit. But but for higher rate taxpayers, it's still only a 20%, a 25% uplift that they, that they get. So they don't get 40% tax relief like a pension. But then it's not flexible like a normal ISA because you have to use it either to purchase your first home or after you're, you're 60 years old. So it's similar to a pension in that regard, and there's that minimum age from which you can actually start to draw it without incurring penalties. It's actually slightly later in the pension at age 60 rather than pension, which is currently 55 and due to rise to 57. Okay, we're going to quiz you some more. We've got James Nakrani with two questions. For investors who are looking for gradual growth over time, would an equity bond split portfolio with a higher bond weight be preferred? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, an interesting one. Um, the, I mean, if you, if you want to go for growth, um, then equities are the place to be rather than bonds if you, if you value kind of history and historical returns at all. Um, but Jamie specifically says gradual growth here, which I think kind of indicates that he wants um, something in terms of a bit more, a bit less risky, uh, in which case then, then, then yes, kind of a, a, a mixed asset portfolio of, of, of equities and bonds would probably be be worth considering. I think that the slight um, problem at the moment is that because bond prices are so high, um, they've actually got quite a lot of, of kind of risk baked into them. So um, I think it's probably worth you know looking at equity bond funds, but 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 maybe kind of dialing down the bond amount more than more than you more than you would normally. And the question is, what do you replace that with? Well, there are other assets, things like gold, property, cash, even um, which you can use as part of a mixed asset portfolio. Or you can. There are a number of kind of uh, conservatively managed mixed asset funds out there, which essentially do the asset allocation for you, choosing equities, bonds, as I say, commodities, cash, what have you, and moving it around as they see fit. So a couple of options there. Now Jamie's clearly hedging his bets because he also wonders for investors who are on the riskier side of the scale, do pure equities provide an opportunity to take advantage of recent markets? Yeah, a bit of low risk, bit of high risk. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, equities, if you want to take high risk, those that's the place to be. I'd say you're not going to take advantage of recent market performance because that's already happened. So you're not you're not going to pick that up. Um, so um, it's important that if you are investing in equities, that you do so with a long-term time frame, because over the next six months or a year or so, who knows which way uh, equities are going to go. It could be up 40%, could be down 40%. That has happened before. Um, but over the long term, they're, they're surprisingly reliable. So um, you know, if you look at uh, Barclays Equity Guild study, uh, they've analysed returns going back to 1899, so fair old time. Um, and over that, in that study, they've, they've looked at kind of periods of 10 years. UK equities have beaten uh, gilts, government bonds, 86% of the time. So, um, you know, a pretty, pretty, pretty uh, compelling reason for investing in equities over long term. And that's not even considering the fact that, you know, bond, bond prices are so high at the moment with, with a 10-year gilt yielding just 0.75%. So Tom Reeves has written to us. He said, my understanding is that stocks and shares 
are subject to a percentage tax when the original investment is made, and then capital gains tax on any gains made at the time of sale. Um, so Tom would like us to help identify the taxes that he might be subject to by holding investments outside of an ISA and clarify whether there's any kind of CGT allowance for stocks and shares held outside of an ISA. Yeah, thanks, Tom. I think I think we have covered this, but it's worth repeating because it's important. So, um, you know, if you are holding um, uh, stocks within an, an ISA, then you do not, uh, you are not subject to capital gains tax or income tax on the dividends. Outside of an ISA, you are subject to capital gains tax, but you do, you're right, Tom, have that, that annual allowance of £12,300 um uh which which um you know may mean that you don't pay capital gains tax but as i said earlier it's about future proofing what if that is cut as well and then the dividend tax outside of an isa um anything above two thousand pounds a year you're going to pay dividend tax on whether it's inside you aren't um and tom does mention there um uh, stocks and shares subject to a percentage tax when the original investment is made, which I think you're probably referring to stamp duty, which is half a percent, which is payable on the transaction value when you buy shares. That's true in an ISA and it's true outside of an ISA. That's specifically for UK shares, doesn't apply to overseas shares. Okay, you'll be glad to know this is the last one, Leigh. Callum Wood <laughs> wants to know the difference between ISAs and the implications of withdrawing your money. Okay, so for almost all ISAs, withdrawals can be made at any time without penalty. Though once you take the money out of the ISA allowance, uh, outside of the ISA, then that's the tax shelter gone. So any, any income and gains that you get from then on could be subject to tax. Two exceptions to mention, uh, the junior ISA, can't get at that until your child is 18. Uh, so worth bearing that in mind. And also the lifetime ISA, because it gets tax relief up front, if you use, you have to use money withdrawn from that to either purchase a first home or you have to wait until you're over 60. If you withdraw money without fulfilling either of those two criteria, then you're subject to a penalty of 25%. And that essentially takes back the uh, the tax relief that the government's added up front and then a little bit of a penalty as well for doing it. Thanks, Leith. We've got one more ISA treat for you at the end of the podcast, but Let's take a look at some other news which involves the regulator worrying that about younger investors. So, Danny, what's happening? Yeah, this is the FCA. They're warning that some young investors are taking huge risks with their money. Um, basically, what it's found is that almost half of young investors that they've spoken to don't see losing money as a risk of investing you know, we all know that with stock markets, you can lose money as well as make money. But a lot of these young people are thinking that they're just going to go with their gut. They're not going to take advice from traditional sources, or they might be looking to places like social media and YouTube for information. And they're getting a real high from experiencing these, you know, fantastic opportunities, playing the stock market for the first time it can feel like a bit of a game. And of course, you know, we've got celebrity figures now like Elon Musk and campaigns like the one which saw GameStop become a bit of a battlefield against the establishment. And that is playing into the mystique 
of being part of something. And there's also, of course, the fear of missing out. Young investors are thinking that they, they just want to, you know, jump onto the hottest thing. And of course, a lot of people investing in cryptocurrency as well. So the regulator is basically saying, think about whether or not you can afford to lose this money. And what they also found is about two thirds of young people said that if they lost the money that they were investing, it would have a major impact on their lives, on their chances, their life chances, possibly, you know, being able to afford the house that they're living in. So they are really concerned about what is going on here. Yeah, a bit worrying that. Um, so let's move on to um, another strange money story. Now, last week we had the mortgage-inspired fridge magnet. We've got something almost as bonkers this week. Jenny, what, what have you got for us? Thanks, Laith. Twitter founder Jack Dorsey has sold his first ever tweet in an auction this week for $2.9 million. First published in March 2006, the tweet reads, Just setting up my Twitter and is now proudly owned by Malaysia-based businessman Sina Istavi. The purchase was made using Ether cryptocurrency, which is a rival to Bitcoin, and the new owner compared the tweet to buying the Mona Lisa. Buying and selling digital media, like art, GIFs, or in this case, social media posts, is dealt as a non-fungible token or NFT. Now, NFTs are digital certificates of authenticity and ownership. They act as collector's items which can't be duplicated and have become popular in the last year for selling digital artwork. Social media experts reckon the sale of tweets and other online posts will become more and more popular in the future. But don't worry, you don't need a museum ticket to check out this historic tweet. The post will remain publicly available on Twitter so you can admire the technological work of art at your leisure. That is totally bonkers. I'm not entirely sure that I agree with them about uh, the difference between this and the Mona Lisa, but there we are. Um, now, I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. Do drop us a line if you've got any more questions on ISAs or anything related to money or markets. But before we go, it is time that we reveal Leith's big secret. <laughs> I, I did not know this about you and I am surprised <laughs> karaoke fanatic it says here is that right uh, I think that's something something that Dan has over egged but yeah I mean <laughs> I, I like a good song and I occasionally sing in the shower but uh, yeah I'm not going to sing in public <laughs> <laughs> but you've you've drummed up some ISA related songs to close out the podcast yeah that's right not singing I, I'd like to hasten to add but yes there are there are some ISA related songs out there I think most people know about the tax benefits of ISAs they certainly do now if they've been listening to the show but probably not as well appreciated is just how much of an inspiration uh, the tax shelter has been to some of the biggest names in music uh, over the years starting of course with the 80s hit single I Should Be So Lucky by Kylie Minogue we all know that one don't we <laughs> there was the um the Bond theme tune, do you remember this one? For your ISA only. So oh, just, oh, no. just in case you've got this, that's the one. That's a, it's a Roger Moore classic. M Hall's Bond over over the coals for running up an unexpected tax bill. Really good show, movie, that one. Uh, there was the upbeat but uh, sardonic post-punk hit, Lust for Lices by <laughs> Iggy Pop. 
Uh, you can remember that from the uh, the 1996 movie uh, Train Spotting. Very good movie there. I'm sure we'll remember a young Ian Mc, uh, Ewan McGregor running through the streets of Edinburgh wearing a T-shirt emblazoned with that slogan, Choose Lysers. Uh, and finally, there was the much maligned hit single, Isa, Isa Baby, uh, by the 90s uh, rap star Vanilla Isa. So there you go. That, I think that's probably enough silliness for today, isn't it? That's super. I, I, I can now see that T-shirt becoming a bestseller. Forget Jack Dorsey's <laughs> original tweet. That Absolutely, T-shirt. Absolutely, should get on it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye for now. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.